Amen. I invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, these two chapters right here in the middle of the book, chapter 8 and 9, talk about money. So that's where we are this week. I'm going to read the whole chapter, but we're only going to focus on about the last half of it. Let me start by asking you this. What's the best gift you've ever given someone? Not, not that you've received, but that you've given someone. Can you think about that? Maybe it was something you gave to your husband or your wife. Maybe something you gave to a child. Maybe something you gave to a best friend or a parent. One thing about giving good gifts is it requires thought, doesn't it? It requires intention. It requires purpose. Sometimes even a little strategy. Now, don't raise your hands on this. Have you ever given a bad gift? I have too. I was dating a girl that later would become my, my wife, Eva. She was off at college, and uh, I was going to visit her one weekend, and I don't think it was a birthday or anything. I think it was just my mom said, here, why don't you take her a gift? And so I kind of grew up. My mom would always give me stuff to give other people. <laughs> and uh, she was trying to teach me, I guess, about giving. And so she gave me this pair of pierced earrings. And so I thought, this is cool. I wrapped them up in a really nice, pa- nice package. But as I was handing them to her, I noticed she doesn't have pierced ears. Now, you would think, guys, we'd be a little more observant, wouldn't we? (laughs) The women are going, nope. (laughs) That's pretty par for the course. What did that tell you about me? I hadn't been paying real close attention. Of course, what it said to her is, is this a hint? Do you want me to get my ears pierced? I was like, no, I'm fine with you not getting your ears pierced. It was just, you know, it's the thought that counts. In that case, the thought didn't even count. The thought told you, you didn't think much here. This morning, we're looking at God's gift. In fact, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is the eight words of verse 15 to close out this chapter. Let me read the passage just to give you the context of what Paul is saying. He's been talking about giving in all of of chapter 8. He comes to chapter 9, verse 1. For it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry to the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely, that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, so that, as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Now, this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, He scattered abroad and gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, 
but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. And then here's the verse. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Paul's talking to the Corinthian believers who are part, by the way, of this section of the world called Achaia. And he's talking to them about a group of Macedonians. Now, who were they raising this offering for? He told, you can find out in this passage, this offering had been going on a year. Okay? So they had, had, had preparations that for a year they had been collecting money throughout this whole region to go back to the Jerusalem church. What has happened in Jerusalem? Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, thousands of people came to faith in Christ. Since then, thousands, they counted them for a while, 3,000, 5,000. Then they quit counting. It's too many to count. Thousands of people had come to faith in Christ. Here's the problem. Many of those people weren't from Jerusalem, but they had stayed there because they had come to faith in Christ. They couldn't go home. And they were living hand to mouth, so to speak. They were being persecuted for their faith. They had lost their jobs. They had lost their families in many cases, and they were poor and struggling financially. And so the church at large is taking up a collection to send it back to the Christians in Jerusalem, in the Jerusalem church. And so one of the places they're collecting this offering is Corinth. Now, what do we know about Corinth? Corinth was a wealthy city. It was also an incredibly wicked city. Perversity came out of Corinth. What do we know about the Macedonians? The Macedonians were poor, but they were giving. In fact... We find out earlier in the, in the book, they begged for the opportunity to give. Have you ever done that? Like when, when the plate is passed at your church. Has a thought ever crossed your mind? Would you please pass it one more time? I said this a couple weeks ago when I was in chapter 8. I was like, wouldn't it be awesome if, you know, when it was time for the offering, instead of people, you know, fidgeting or getting nervous, if we just broke out into applause. We're here to receive the offering. Woo! That's the way the Macedonians felt. They didn't know these people in Jerusalem, but they knew they were fellow believers, and so they wanted to support them and take care of their needs. And the people in Corinth, Paul's saying, I'm coming, but I've sent a group ahead of me because I've been bragging about you. I've been telling these Macedonian Christians that y'all are going to have this bountiful offering. Why? Because you've promised to have it. But Paul said, just in case, I don't want to get there and be embarrassed and have you look bad. So I've sent this letter on ahead of me, and the brethren have gone just to remind you it's been a year, and I hope that covetousness hasn't crept in. What does that mean? I hope that you haven't started looking at that offering and think, I need some of that for me. And so the first thing I want you to see this morning is the cheerful purpose. Paul, several times in this letter, gets to the word now. And what he's saying is, I've built up to this case, and so I'm about to make a point. So he says, now. He teaches us the, the parable of the sower again. He teaches us really the principle of the sower. He said, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. What does to sow mean? It literally means to scatter. I don't know if you've ever planted something. There's some seeds that you scatter. There's some that you build a little hill and stick a hole in it and put something in there. 
I lived in Texas. One of the things about Texas, I lived there for three years in seminary. And one of the things about Texas is it's windy all the time. And the place I went to seminary had a, had a parcel of ground that they would divide up and let seminary students rent a little spot to have a garden. And so we, we were poor. We went in with another couple and rented this little, I don't know, it wasn't big. But between the two of us, we were going to plant some things. And one of the things I remember we planted that actually grew was okra. Anybody ever planted okra? Okra is an incredibly small seed. Here's the problem with okra. We were probably the only people that planted okra. But everybody around us ended up with okra. Now, we didn't go and intentionally scatter it, but it just went. And, folks, we grew okra that was like this tall. It was huge. We should have picked it. We couldn't pick it quick enough. We'd go one day and pick okra, come back the next day, and there's okra. I'm seriously, like, you know, foot-long okra. But it's not good when it gets that long. But I learned something about sowing seeds. Number one thing I learned was this. You've got to be careful where you put it. But when you sow seed, you reap a harvest. When you sow one little okra seed, you end up with all this okra. In fact, you end up with more seed than you started with. And so what Paul is teaching them is if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. In other words, if you kind of have a tight fist with the things God's entrusted to you, then you're not going to sow willingly. You're not going to sow generously. You're not going to sow bountifully. You're going to be stingy. You're not going to have much of a harvest. One principle you need to know is this. You reap what you sow. In fact, you reap more than you sow. But you can't reap what you don't sow. Does that make sense? And so Paul is trying to teach them, hey, the principle of the sower is this. If you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. The people in Corinth, this would have been a new thing for them. They were wealthy. And it was all about how much can I get and how much can I keep. And now that they've come to faith in Christ, something new is taking place. That is God's encouraging them to give. And then he says in verse 7, each one must do as he has purposed in his heart. To purpose means literally to choose for oneself before another thing. In other words, you've made a choice to do this instead of that. I watch people give. I'm fascinated by how some people give. I was riding in a car with a man one time. We pulled up to an intersection and they were collecting money for something in the intersection. You all experienced that before? Some of those organizations are worthy, good organizations. Some of them, I don't even know. Well, he reached in his pocket and threw a few dollars in there and drove out. And I knew he was proud about it because he had his lip poked out. You know what that looks like? People, you know, poke their lip out. They're proud. They just gave something. And I looked at him and I said, what did you just give to? He said, I don't know. I said, how do you know that what you just gave to isn't diametrically opposed to everything you believe? He said, I never thought about that. So when Paul says you ought to give as you purposed in your heart, folks, it ought to be intentional. You ought to have prayed about it. So two principles I want you to get this morning is this. Is what you're giving to, does it square with the Word of God? And does it square with the purpose of God? So what about spontaneous giving? You, th that question is going to come out. Well, what if somebody asks me spontaneously? We have opportunities in the front of the grocery store, in intersections, at work, at church. Maybe going into a store, coming out of a store. So you're saying, preacher, then don't ever give spontaneously? That's not it at all. You've already prayed about, God, this is what I'm supposed, 
this is how I'm supposed to steward the money that you've given me. So it may be that it's a spontaneous gift, but you know because you've already prayed about it that it's purposed in your heart to give that way. But don't do this. This is poor stewardship of what God's given you. It's just to give stuff to stuff you don't even know what's going on. Do you know that there's organizations out there that collect money that aren't spending the money in good ways? There's some organizations that 90 cents out of every dollar you give them goes to overhead. It doesn't get to the mission field or it doesn't get to the child. It doesn't get where you think it's going. And that's sad. There's people out there that prey on generous hearts of people. So what Paul is saying is be intentional, be purposeful, give as you have purposed in your heart. And so I'd give you one principle. If you don't know, don't give. If somebody asks you for something and you don't know who they are, investigate it. Maybe you, need to, maybe you need to do a little research and find out, yeah, that's something I would support. Give the next time or give later. Ask them for a brochure or something. But don't steward God's money that he's trusted you with to give to something you haven't purposed to give to. And so we need to give as, God, as we purposed in our heart. And Paul says, don't give grudgingly. I think there's some people that collect money thinking, I don't care if you're giving grudgingly or not, just give. <laughs> Paul says, no. To give grudgingly means out of sadness. So Paul says you are to give as you've purposed, but also don't, you're not giving out of sadness. You're not giving out of compulsion. Paul's saying, I'm not holding a stick over your head saying you better give. In fact, everything he said in the first part of this passage is, I'm coming to collect an offering that you've promised. I didn't tell you had to do this. I made the appeal and you've promised this bountiful gift. So I'm not coming with a stick. I'm coming with a hand to say, okay, respond to what God laid on your heart to give. So how should we give? He says God loves a cheerful giver. Somebody that gives under compulsion is worried about what somebody else thinks. If you give cheerfully, in fact, the root of the word, and you've heard this before, is the word hilarious. What's that mean? God loves hilarious givers. And I think that's so foreign the way some people think giving ought to happen in the church. It literally ought to give you joy to give. If you're giving out of sadness, you need to pray about it. And certainly if you're giving out of compulsion, if you're giving out of what other people are going to think. You ever been in a church where they held the money up in the air and waved it? I have. There's some churches where it's a show because they want people to see how much you're giving. You're not giving for God there. You're giving for yourself. So Paul says don't give grudgingly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. In fact, the example is Jesus. How did he give? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews 12, 2 says this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus gave the ultimate gift. He gave himself. But he did it for joy. So as you give, ask the question, is this bringing me joy? Second thing is, where does it come from anyway? I think sometimes the reason we're so stingy about giving is we think it all belongs to us. We need to ask the question, where did this come from? Folks, it all came from God. We're simply to be stewards of it. So how much of it belongs to God? All of it. 
We only give a portion back to God, and then we're to steward the rest of it, spend it wisely, take care of it. Verse 8, if you underline in your Bible, you ought to underline these three words, God is able. If you haven't gotten to the point in your Christian life where you understand God is able, as Paul said in Ephesians, God's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything you could ask or think. There's times we look at our resources and we think generous giving is for rich people. No. Generous giving, hilarious giving is for all of us. Even poor people can give. Because God is able. God has the power. For what? To make all grace abound to you. And to make always having sufficiency. You're not dependent on the circumstances that you're living in. You're, in, you're dependent on a holy, powerful God. As it is written, and he quotes from Psalms, He who scattered abroad gave to the poor. That's the picture of God is open-handed scattering. And then he talks about the supply. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will, mul- will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. Isn't that good news? Here's what Paul's saying. The one who has supplied it all as you give is going to give you more, is going to supply more for you to give in faithfulness so that you will be enriched in everything and he will increase the harvest of your righteousness. Then I want you to see the result. This is cool. The thankful response Verses, last half of uh, 11 through 14. This gift is through us producing a thanksgiving to God. Let me, let me read a passage to you. This is Acts chapter 11. Acts 11. It's on the screen or you can look at your scripture. I want you to understand what's happened in the Jerusalem church and what's happening as a result of this offering. Acts 11, 1. Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? Do you see what the response of the Jerusalem church was? They've heard that people in places like Corinth and Caesarea have come to faith in Christ. Gentiles, heathens, have come to faith in Christ. Their response should have been, praise God. You know what their response was? You ate with those nasty people. The church in Jerusalem looked at the people everywhere else in the world that was responding to the gospel and saying, they don't measure up. They're not like me. I'm part of the circumcised class. I'm a Jew. I have the birthright. Peter struggled with that. That's why Peter had the vision of the animals coming down and Peter had that opportunity to go to Cornelius and lead him to Christ. This was a change of mind for people to realize God's grace has extended to the Gentiles. And by the way, that applies to us in this room. One of the coolest things on our trips to the Holy Land is standing in Caesarea, there's an amphitheater there, and singing the song, Amazing Grace. And thinking the significance of that. That this gospel did not just stay in Jerusalem. It spread throughout the world. To people that the Jews looked at as unworthy. And so what's happening through this offering, look what Paul's saying. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying their needs, 
So this offering is going to take care of their physical needs. But more than that, it's bringing about thanksgivings to God. You think in the sovereignty of God and the purpose of God, here's what's happened. The gospel has spread, and now all of a sudden the church in Jerusalem is needy. And who are they seeing meet their need? God, yes. But who's God using to meet their need? The people they looked at as less than them. Isn't that awesome the way God does that? So God is meeting their need through people who they would have looked at and wouldn't have crossed the street to shake hands with. And certainly, in this case, wouldn't have eaten with. And they're mad at Peter early in Acts. And their attitude changes. And it's not just because they're giving them money. But folks, they see the grace of God at work in their life and they realize they've received the same gift of the Spirit that we've received. In fact, he says something very interesting in verse 14. He says, while they also by prayer on your behalf yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. You see what's happened? The shift that's taken place from they wouldn't have anything to do with them, you can't eat with them, to now they long for them. They yearn for their fellowship because they finally realize you're my brother or sister. Change of heart has taken place because of the grace of God in them. And then the last verse. It's just eight words in my translation. But thanks be to God. For two chapters, Paul has been talking about giving. And he finally sums it up in verse 15 to describe the gift that God's given. Thanks be to God. In fact, the word thanks there, the root is the word grace. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Isn't it amazing that we try to come up with words to describe something that's indescribable? I love some of the other translations. King James uses the word unspeakable. ESV uses the word inexpressible. The Amplified Bible says beyond telling. The Living says too wonderful for words. The Message says no language can praise it enough. So as Paul looked at the gift God's given, in light of the two chapters of teaching he's just given about the gift they're going to give, he says look at the gift God's given. I can't even put words to it. It's indescribable. It's beyond words. In fact, it's a gift. We, we struggle with gifts. We struggle with giving. Sometimes we're, we're so weird about giving stuff because we only give if somebody's given to us. We almost That's a payment. If you give because somebody's given to you, that's a payment. Gift means free. If you've ever received a call on the telephone and they said, write this... Number down because we've got a gift for you. All we need is nineteen ninety nine shipping and handling. That's not a gift. Gifts are free. In fact, we even struggle with the word free. I've talked to you about the battle of the donut shops in our area. If you've never been here for that, there's one donut shop that does free donuts certain days of the year. If you go up and you say, I'd like a donut, they give you a donut. Doesn't cost you anything. There's a do- another donut shop that says, free donut, and in the bottom, with the purchase of a large drink. Is that free? That's not free. Why? Because you had to pay for it. 
What about God's gift? It's free. Did it cost us anything? No, it cost God, though. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What is God's gift? In a word, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus came to this earth, born of a virgin, placed in a feeding trough, lived 30 years before he was baptized by John. He had a ministry of about three years where he taught, performed miracles, and ultimately went to the cross. He died a death he did not deserve because I deserve to die. Romans 3.23 puts it this way. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin, what you earn from sin is death. But don't stop there. What's the rest of the verse? But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. In fact, the best verse is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten son. Why? So that anyone who believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the gift that God's given. Folks, in light of that, that's how we're to give. I thought about how are we to give to God and how does God give to us? I've come up, I think, with a few slides. Here's what Paul said. Here's how you need to give to God. First of all, without sadness. Shouldn't make you sad to open up your fist and give what God's asked you to give. We're to give without compulsion. We're not giving because somebody's holding a stick over our head or they're shaming us into giving or we're worried about what other people are thinking. There's a restaurant when we lived in Gastonia, an Italian restaurant I loved used to eat at. And I'd go there with a good friend of mine and when you'd walk out the door, you had to put your tip on your card at the counter. And the lady, named, the name of the restaurant was Angie's, and the, the lady at the counter, her name was Angie. She'd always call out your tip. And she'd make a comment about it. Oh, $5. Oh, and she'd call me a missionary. She didn't understand what I did for a living. So she just, oh, the missionary. The guy behind me, Jerry, I had more kids. So I'd typically, my bill was a little bit more. And so I'd give like five, six, seven dollars. Jerry would give like five. And I looked at her one time and said, Yeah, he's a tightwad. She's crawled out to everyone. He's a tightwad. <laughs> so it's almost like Jerry was shamed. Jerry was shamed into finding out, What's, What are you tipping? Because I've got to give at least that much, or Angie's going to shame me. Then she wanted me to call her husband out and tell him what a tightwad was. Because he was a tightwad. So we're giving without sadness or compulsion. How do we give? We give with purpose. You've prayed about it. You've understood the Word of God. You know if what you're about to give to squares with something that God would have you support or not. And we give cheerfully. We give cheerfully. Folks, I think having the right thinking about giving, understanding what God's given us, you can't outgive God. We give cheerfully. And we give proportionally. We give as God's blessed us, but we also give in proportion. If, listen, if you want to give proportionally, what should we be giving to God? All of it. Because He gave it all to us. How does God give? I'll close with this. Just three quick thoughts. How does God give? This first one's good. He gives out of His supply. 
Here's the cool thing. When God gives to you, his supply hasn't been reduced. He still has it all. God gives out of his supply. God gives with unconditional love. What does that mean? God gives without strings attached. God's not giving because you're lovely or pretty or you deserve it. If God only gave to people that deserve it, he wouldn't give to anybody because none of us deserve it. And last, God gives with grace. Here's what grace means. It means receiving something you don't deserve. God gives with grace. In fact, Romans 5, 8 puts it this way. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's gift came when we were totally unworthy. In fact, we were walking away from God. Jesus died. Let's pray together. As you bow your head and think for a moment about God's gift. The point of the passage, Paul is taking up an offering. He's receiving a promised gift from the Corinthian believers. But he closes by demonstrating the greatest gift of all. So my question for you is this. Before you can give, have you received? Are you a child of God? God's made an offer of a gift, but the gift really isn't a gift if you hadn't received it. So if you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Today is the day of your salvation. But for most of you in this room, you've come to faith in Christ. How's your giving? How's your attitude towards giving? Are you giving strategically as you have purposed? Are you giving with a cheerful heart? Father, we pray. God, thank you for your gift. In fact, the word thanks is so inadequate. And yet your, your gift, God, was Jesus. Thank you for your gift and your grace. May it impact the way we give and the way we live our lives as believers in Christ's name.